Thank you, Mick. Um, some of you have been asking, many of you have been asking, what did you guys do with uh, Andrew and Mandy for four or five weeks? What happened to them? Well, um, first of all, thank you for noticing they were gone. And that's a testimony to their leadership. Andrew's leadership is that uh, in the spirit of Ephesians 4, he has been equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so he's built really good worship teams. Um, so that's a, a backhanded compliment. But they have been gone on sabbatical and vacation kind of combined together. And they're back and we really missed them. So let's give them a big hand. It's just good. Thank you for coming back to us. We missed you. Well, also, thank you. Thank you for coming this morning. If you want to follow my talk more closely, um, you can go to the Version Bible app, the one that Mick just mentioned. And uh, if you click on events, my notes will be there. My outline will be there. You can check that out. Um, let me just say this. It is so good to be here together in God's house. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, Lee, it's a gym. It is. But because... We are together in it as followers of Jesus. This morning, it's God's house. And we'll talk more about that in just uh, a few minutes. Well, today I get the privilege of kicking off a two-part series before we jump into the New Testament book of 2 Peter. You're welcome to read ahead if you want. And let me just say this as well. Um, this isn't what we usually do. If you've been with us for a while, maybe it's your first time. Uh, what we usually do is we go verse by verse. We just went through a good portion of Acts. As I said, we'll be going through Second Peter. Uh, but every once in a while, we think this is so important that we do what we call a topogetical study. We take a topic and we exegete it. We still go through the verses. It's just a topic. And that's our topic this morning. The topic this morning is how does New Heights, how do we do church? Uh, we think it's the biblical model. And we call it the, the celebration cell model. This morning is the celebration. I don't know if you'd call it the top of our funnel. You might say that. And then from week to week, throughout the week, could be tonight, it could be any day through the week, we have, we have the cell group, or what we call the, the fellowship time. Sunday morning, celebration is the gathering together. Throughout the week, which Bruce will be talking about next week, is that fellowship, that community group time. So, um, okay, let me start with the disclaimer. I don't usually do this. Um, but let me just say this, it's not easy to talk about why we should gather on Sunday mornings without sounding legal, legalistic or appearing to shame people into why they should be here. So, so please hear me, this is not what I want to do. I don't want to come off as, as legalistic, I only want to say what God says, and I don't want to come off as someone who just wants to shame you. Um, and also, I, I, I'm mindful, I'm really mindful that this, for some people, um, coming to church on a Sunday morning, it's a big deal because the church has hurt you. It's hurt you. Uh, maybe emotionally, maybe you had some leader that um, emotionally and spiritually abused you. God forbid, maybe there was some kind of sexual or physical abuse that breaks my heart. So I get it. It's complicated. Now, if that's the case for you this morning, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, so my goal is not to bring shame, is not to have some legalistic approach. My goal is just to lovingly say what God says. Also, I, I, I get it. I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. I have to be here, right? But let me say this. Um, pastor or not, I love to be here. Ruth and I 
And you can pray for Ruth. She's not here. I feel like my right arm and my left arm is gone. She wasn't here first service or second service either. So I can talk about her a lot because she's not here. But Ruth and I often say to each other, we don't have to be here at church. We get to be here at church, right? We, we love church. And, and what I hope you catch from me this morning is, is my unashamed love for God's local church. I hope it comes flowing out of my pores. It's not shame, but love for God's body, for this local gathering, for this weekly meeting. Okay, so most of my talk will be positive, uh, 90%. But before we get to the positive, we need a little negative, just a little negative. So let's start with four reasons why, why Christians aren't gathering as much on Sunday mornings as as they used to. And I call it the four Ps. I'm channeling my former Baptist life and I'm alliterating this morning. Um, First reason why Christians aren't gathering as much on Sunday mornings as they used to is, is that podcasts and videos have replaced the Sunday morning gathering. Take a look. awkward, but sadly a little true. Amen, right? By the way, I I think podcasts and videos are great. I I listen and watch them all the time, but they shouldn't replace the Sunday morning gathering. They're they're really good, but they, they don't tell the whole story. It's important to remember that our teaching here on a Sunday morning, our worship, our ministry time, our communion, it's connected to real people. Like, I, I'm not going to ask you to pinch the person next to you. Don't do that, but they're real. If you pinch them, they'll say, ouch, right? Our, our, our teaching is connected to real people, and our people are connected to a real community, NWA. And so when I, when I listen to a podcast, which I do oftenly, often or sometimes I'll watch a church service on YouTube. I think this is great. Those aren't my people. That's not my pastor. That's not my worship team. That's not my community. It's great, it's supplemental, um, but it's not like the Sunday morning gathering. Second 
Second P is the Sunday morning gathering is not a priority. Simply stated, um, our very busy life just gets in the way. Other things become a priority over and above meeting together. And, and hey, once again, this isn't about shame. I get it. Life just slips up on you, right? You have to be really intentional because if you don't, next thing you know, work gets in the way, sports, leisure, you name it. Third, third P, uh, the Sunday morning gathering is not practical. Uh, how many in here have kids in the nursery and as well as in the children's ministry? That's hard. I get it. You're trying to wrangle those kids. You're like, this is difficult. You're trying to get them in a car seat. And I mean, back in the day, Ruth and I, we just threw them in the back of a truck and we went, right? You know, <laughs> now you're like, oh, hey, babe, this takes so much. I, I get it. Part of it's just, it's not practical. But also there's, there's this mentality in our culture now, what's in it for me? How, how do I benefit? How do I benefit? How does it work for me? I mean, I better walk out on a Sunday morning and there better be some practical things for me to put into practice. And, and, and to a certain extent, that's a fair critique. Some ch churches that you attend are a little dry and they're not very practical in their teaching or their outreach, but there's a danger. Let me just warn you, it's called consumerism. And the question is this, is church all about Lee? <laughs> or is it about how I worship God, how I, I love others, and how I serve the body of Christ. Fourth reason, and this one has been gaining steam. I have no idea how this came to be because you look throughout church history, you just don't see this, but the Sunday morning gathering, um, people say, I don't come because it's not perfect. Scott McKnight in his book, A Fellowship of Difference, you'll see it behind me. It's really good, by the way. I encourage you to buy it says there is no such thing as a perfect church. He says, and I quote, there was never a golden era when the church did church perfectly. Sometimes well-meaning people suggest the first century was a golden era, but anyone who reads the New Testament, we just study this in the book of Acts, Jim taught on this, knows there were problems within centuries, within decades, within years, within weeks. Good grief. In Jerusalem, Ethnic rivalries um, meant Greek-speaking widows were neglected, and at Corinth, its members were forming personality cults. Strife emerged quickly in Paul's messy house churches. Now, let's get a little more positive. I want us to look at three reasons why the local church exists, and then we'll finish with five very practical reasons why we gather together on a weekly basis. Okay. Please open your Bibles to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is, this is a, this epistle, this letter is inc incredibly practical. He's writing to this young pastor and he's basically saying, Timothy, let me, let me teach you, let me help you pastor a local church. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm on my way, but just in case, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves. Okay, that's, wow, that's practical. Conduct themselves, first of all, in God's household, which is the church of the living God. By the way, it's also the pillar and foundation of, of truth, the truth. So, I want us to notice three things from this passage. First, he says this, quite simply, he says the church is God's household. You might replace that with family. Paul often uses building metaphors for the church in Ephesians 2. Um, he calls us a temple, not made with hands, but he also uses family images for the church. 
Sometimes we are literally called, as I just said, God's family or the people of God or members, as it says here in our text, of his household. Now, both of those ideas are present here as he talks about the church. And I just want to remind us that when it, it comes to the church, just like our own families, we don't get to pick who's in our family. And I, I trust me, I'm anticipating what you're thinking. You're saying, well, Lee, yeah, but I do get to pick my church. To which I would say you do, but you're just going to find more dysfunctional family members there. That's what happens, right? You say, well, man, I'm, 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 I'm looking for this perfect household of God, this perfect, no such thing. Look at your own family. How's that working out? I think my family's pretty amazing, but on any given day, and both Ruth's side and my side, you bring us all together, there's some scary stuff. But we, man, we love each other. We're, we're a part of this household, right? In our case, called the Epsteins, and we come together and we do life together. Secondly, the church is, as Paul says, it's the church of the living God. Sam, do me a favor, put that, that verse up there, the Hebrews passage up there. And I need to give you a little pretext here, and I don't have time to really unpack it all, because a whole lot goes into this verse in Hebrews chapter 12, but I'll summarize, because I think this is important. In Hebrews 12, the author is talking about two mountains, really two forms of worship. In the Old Testament, it was Mount Sinai. And basically, he says this, it was not accessible. We could not come into the presence of the living God. But in the New Testament, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and you remember we went through the book of Hebrews, the whole theme of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. Jesus is the sacrifice. And now because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we as a household, as a family, we now can come into the presence of the living God. So this is where we pick up Hebrews 12. The writer there is building, and he says this in Hebrews 12, verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city, same language that Paul uses in Timothy, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now get this, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Old Testament, you couldn't get in the assembly. New Testament, you and the angels are worshiping together. So when we come to Mount Zion, when we new covenant believers come to Mount Zion, not to Mount Sinai, but to Mount Zion, what are we ushered into? The assembling of the living God. We are ushered into the presence of thousands upon thousands of angels. So why is Paul telling us that we're the church of the living God? Because he wants us to appreciate how awesome it is that you and I together as the household of God get to worship the living God together. And that's what we are right now in a gym. As we gather together as brothers and sisters in an imperfect family, we are in the presence of the living God. Then he goes on to say, thirdly, the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. So why does Paul say this? Because Paul's talking about Timothy's local church. He's not talking about the universal church here. Paul is saying that the local church is the place that God has appointed to be essential to the proclamation and protection of the truth in the world. Do you, do you understand that? Like we come together as a family as God's household in the presence of the living God with thousands of angels together in a gym, which is the household of God for right now, and our job is to take the truth that's given to us here and go out and proclaim the truth there, wherever it might be. Your house, your neighborhood, your school, your workplace, your family, the soccer field. 
The point is we need one another. Desperately. We need one another for encouragement. We need to actually see one another's lives. We need to see the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of other believers to encourage us to love and, and good deeds. We need to be saying the word to one another, hearing the word of God together, serving the word of God together, praying together. It's when we're together that the church serves as the pillar and foundation of the truth. Everywhere, gospel-believing, Bible-believing, Christ-exalting people gather Lord's Day after Lord's Day, committed to one another in membership in a local congregation. Paul says, that's where God dwells. And Paul's saying, don't ever underestimate that. Now, maybe some of you still aren't convinced that you should gather together weekly. So let me, let me finish with five very practical reasons why we gather together on a weekly basis. Number one, this is real simple, but don't ever underestimate this as well. God said so. God said so. Again, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I just need to raise a, a pretty simple question here. How can we spur one another on to love and good deeds if we're not with one another? Like, that's why I love the virtual church, man. That guy was, was all there for him. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I got a podcast in my car. How's that work for others? How do, we, how do we live out the ethos of Jesus Christ in the lives of others if we're not with others? And so that's why the, the writer, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says this, not giving up. If we're going to spur one another on, we... we Verse 25, we cannot give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I wrote this down this morning. I know it's simple, but I just said this. God knows best, and I don't need to try and outthink God on this one. God said, I didn't say this. We need to not give up meeting together. We're the household of God. We're in the presence of the living God and truth is here and we need to be with each other. Secondly, we gather so we can, we can remember what Jesus did for us. And I think this is the most important reason. As the church gathers, we declare individually and corporately the reality of the gospel. In other words, we are recalling Christ's work on our behalf. We sing the gospel. We pray the gospel. We preach the gospel. In communion, we eat the gospel. And in baptism, we participate in the gospel. The local church is the house of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are a people of the past. So we come together and we look backwards to look forward. We proclaim to each other that Christ has purchased us through his death and secured our salvation through his resurrection. And we announce in the midst of a world with bad news that there is indeed very, very good news. So during the week, as our, our fellow brothers and sisters have suffered in the world, we gather to say that the gospel is the only medicine that heals a sick soul. Man, it breaks my heart. Everyone's trying everything but what works. Well, if I drink this, if I take this, if I study this, if I, this self-help guru, if I read this, if I watch this, if I, it's only the gospel. This is what we desperately need to recall for ourselves and those around us. By recalling Christ's work, we are helping God's people see that everything in their lives depends on him. Thirdly, we gather so we can 
remember our identity. In the same breath as we recall the gospel, we remember our current identity in Jesus. Again, there is a temptation during the week to find our identity in the things that we accomplish. Maybe our jobs consume us or stuff consumes us. Maybe it was the test that gave worth to your existence. Maybe the relationship that failed has destroyed your self-esteem. The fact of the matter is we need to be reminded that we are in Christ Jesus. And based on Christ's work, we have a new existence in him. I want to give you three identity verses that I absolutely love. And I call these the crucified, the crucified, raised, and reigning identity verses. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. How powerful is that? I, I'm dead to Lee. I've killed Lee. Lee is gone. The old Lee is gone. The flesh is gone. I now live in Christ. But Christ, he lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. My identity is that I have been crucified. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on, on earthly things. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We reign with Jesus right now by living in his presence and living out his ethos. Crucified, raised, reigning. As he is, so we are. And not only do we proclaim the gospel, but we participate, it, we participate in it as well as we identify in him. We can think of the Sunday morning gathering as a spiritual reality check. We remember who we really are in Christ. I want you to see this. I want you to write this down. I'll say it slow because it's so important. Christ's past work has present implications for us. Christ's past work has present implications for us. Remembering who we are resets our purpose in the present. I want you to see this. We come here on a Sunday morning to get our purpose reset. Man, the week is hard. <laughs> We're struggling. Maybe we have identified with things that, that aren't Christ-like. Maybe we have had trouble crucifying our flesh and, and understanding that, we, that we're co-heirs with Christ, that we reign with him. And so we come here and, man, we just reset who we are. Our purposes get reset. You say, what does that look like? Well, it, it, it might be a conversation in the hallway where you just, you begin to talk with somebody. And next thing you know, you're praying for another. It might be communion. It might be a song you sang. It might be the words you've heard. It might be afterwards when we have our ministry time and you come up and, and you get prayed for or pray for somebody else or encourage somebody else that you go, man, this just resets who I am. And here's the, here's the, here's the problem. If you don't come, you can't get reset. And if you can't get reset and you live a life of isolation, oh man, how does that work? You know what happens with people who live, a, believers who live a life of isolation and forsake the gathering together? They become narcissistic. They begin to forget the principles of Christ. They begin to forget the identity verses. Number four, we gather because we grow more together than we do alone. 
It can be messy when we step into each other's lives. We are all sinners. No one is perfect. So it requires effort and intentionality and grace from God to do life together, even as believers. Maybe even more so as believers. Gathering regularly with other believers becomes a refining process whereby we help each other and we pray for each other and we encourage each other to want to follow Christ with our whole heart. Let me just say this. Life on life is, is messy. We need messy. Messy causes us to grow in Christ. Lastly, and I love this, we gather because just very practically, we're practicing for heaven. I know, you're like, huh? I don't even think about heaven. Every Sunday we think about heaven. Every Sunday. As we look back, recalling the gospel, and we remember our present identity in him, and we grow better together than alone, we also look forward. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation. You mean like America? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but every nation. Tribe, people, and language, what were they doing? They were standing before the throne and before the capital L Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were, they were wearing white robes. I don't know if I look good in white, but I think I will then. And were holding palm branches in their hands. I want you to say this to yourself right now quietly. That's me in eternity. So I thought that was just a mission verse. No, 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 that's, that's your future reality. He said, oh, I, I didn't think about it that way. And we all, in our future reality, we all cried out together in a loud voice. Um, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Thus, we would say this right now, as we gather as God's people, we're a, ref a reflection on earth of what's happening in heaven around the throne right now. God's people are crying, holy Holy, holy is the Lord. We get to, in an imperfect way, do the very same thing and see God's kingdom, God's people, worshiping on earth as it is in heaven. So also, in a very real way, another aspect of what happens here and what we're doing here every Sunday is that you and I are preparing one another for heaven. Why? Because in the new heaven and the new earth, the Bible says there's going to be a big feast. And it's going to be the wedding supper of the Lamb. And we're going to feast together with the Lamb, with the Lord. And until the day He comes and makes all things new, we get to practice and look forward to the meal that is to come through this meal. So in a few minutes, when we get up out of our seats, as we stand shoulder to shoulder, we're, we're coming to give worth to Jesus Christ as the head of the body. The one who laid down His life for His friends and for His sheep. At the same time, as we're glorifying God and being ministered to by the Spirit, we even get to rub shoulders with one another, and perhaps this is our ministry time. Pray for one another. Offer words of encouragement for one another. And look forward to the day that's to come when we will be with the Lord face to face together as a community surrounding that table. I'd like for the worship team to come back up. If you're on the prayer team, do me a favor. Would you come up as well? 
in just a few minutes, you're going to have an opportunity to come up and take communion. Andrew will probably say more about that. I'm going to pray for that. But you'll also have an opportunity to pray with those who are up here, those who are around the room. Maybe someone in here, someone is here and, and you're thinking, Lee, um, I don't want to take communion because I'm not a Christian. And maybe what you're thinking is this, because there's been some confusion lately, which breaks my heart. You're thinking, well, what is Christianity? Christianity is Christ. The gospel. Evangelion. The good news is Jesus. Now, this is what I want you to get down. This is really, really important. The gospel is not Jesus and good works. This is why we got people deflecting and, and defecting, pardon me, and deconstructing and deserting the faith because they got caught up in a system of do's and don'ts. They got caught up in, in, in a formula. And like, I, I just thought the gospel's about trying to be good. You, you'll never make it. You won't measure up. You won't last. The law is good and perfect and amazing, but the law was given to us to reveal that it can't save us. It can't. You're like, I'm better than so-and-so. Doesn't matter. The gospel is not good works. Or the gospel is not Jesus in some power encounter. It's not Jesus and coming to church on Sunday. It's not Jesus and going to a small group. It's not Jesus and social justice. Those are all good things. But without Jesus, they don't mean a thing. I'm sitting with a couple a week ago. And like, man, we're just walking away. Because Christians have let us down. The church has let us down. I can't keep up. I can't measure up. I can't keep the law. You can't. The gospel is Jesus Christ. Salvation is acknowledging that we are sinners. And that we turn to Jesus alone for salvation. This is what I prayed 36 years ago. God, I'm a sinner, and I desperately need a Savior. Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. I've sinned against you and you alone. I want to turn from my sin and turn to you for salvation. Please come into my life today as Savior and Lord. I'm yours. I can't do this. I can't save myself. The gospel is Christ plus nothing. All the other stuff is what ruins it if we think that saves us. Jesus, salvation, and then the other stuff is awesome. Once they become a follower, I want to be here. Once they become a follower, I want to hang out on a Wednesday or Tuesday or Thursday night with other believers. Once they become a follower, social justice is important because God is the author of social justice. Once they become a follower, I want power encounters. I want the Holy Spirit to show up in power and do great things. Let me pray. Father, we love you. 
bless you. We thank you for this privilege now to come together as your church and to worship you through the bread and the wine, through remembering the Lord. So, so God, I, I pray as we come to Jesus, the head of the church, and as we look and remember his sacrifice, that you would build us your body, build us up in love, and that you would strengthen, strengthen us to build one another up in love so we might function and continue to worship you in a way that brings you great glory and us great joy and our neighbors great good. So come now by your spirit and minister to us as we celebrate this meal and we sing these songs and I pray and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.